Amen. Blessing and honor and power and glory. I'm going to do something just a little bit differently right here in this part of our service. And this has been uh, called out to be a, a, a day of prayer across the world. And I'm going to ask those of you who uh, are able to, who are capable of, to just come forward. We have brothers and sisters right now in hiding, in desperation, and in fear, not of their tomorrow, because they know that their tomorrows is in the hands of Jesus Christ. We have been blessed for a number of years now being able to send missionaries and have pastors go and to start churches in Afghanistan. And right now our hearts need to break for what we have seen taking place during the last eight, nine days. And the stories that are coming out. And I can tell you that according to even our own International Mission Board, just the other day, they, they made a posting to say that they can neither confirm nor deny that we have missionaries on the ground in Afghanistan right now, whether or not they have been able to pull out, get out safely. And so we're going to enter into this time of prayer, and we're going to pray for, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also the innocent and what is taking place there as well. So... Let's take this time and let's just pour our hearts out to the Lord. Father God, I know that there are churches, believers that have been gathering all week long, that there are churches that are setting aside time to, to pray over those in, in this area now that has just been taken over by those who hate Christ and hate those that worship Christ, that worship you, that find their salvation in a Savior, in, a, in one who, who died and rose again. And Lord, we, we believe that, in, that what Scripture says is true, that you are a God that does not fail. At the same time, we understand that even Jesus said that if we, we have faith to move mountains, that we can say to that mountain, fall into the sea and it will. And here and now, Lord God, your church is praying that mountains are moved. That, Lord, that a way is made straight, a safe way. And Lord, that we pray for those that are, that are fearing for their physical life, although they know whose hand eternally that has them. Lord, I pray for responsible leadership. I pray for those with the ability 
to be able to rise up to the occasion here and now and to fall under conviction and to, to move the resources, the necessary resources to bring these people to some sense of safety. And Lord, I pray that your church's heart that believers' heart would break here and now in and, and understanding that even in the blessing of our safety here, that, Lord, that we reach out for those in nations and in countries here and now that cannot freely worship you, who cannot freely express and preach and call out in the name of Jesus in a loud voice. And if the stories are true, there are those that are standing out in the streets and doing that now no matter in order to get the name of Jesus out. And Lord, I thank you for their bravery and their trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would not only break but that, Lord, it would move us to be actionable in our prayer and in the ways that we can help and the ways that we can provide, however way you convict us and lead us and open the doorways for us to. May the name of Jesus be praised. Because I know, Lord God, that you, you know the end game. And you will wipe away every tear from our eyes as we behold your glory and all glory and honor and power and majesty be unto your name. Hear the prayers of your saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.
What's up, guys? Man, I am so excited to be here this morning with you guys. I'm excited that I get to bring the word this morning. Man, and dude, Pastor Dean, man, these, has worship just been amazing this morning? It has been awesome. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. You know, I had a, I had a guy the other day. He's, he's not like me. He's, he's not all hyper jitter and all that kind of stuff all the time. Um, and he asked me the other day, he said, dude, Mike, how are you up all the time, man? Like, you are just at 10 constantly. And I was like, bro, how can I not be? You know what I'm saying? I mean, how can I not be? I woke up this morning and, and I read in my Bible that the God of the universe loves me. Like, how can I not be excited? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can you not start your day excited when you look and you say, you know what? Every sin that I've ever committed and will ever commit since I profess Christ with my mouth and in my heart, every sin was nailed to an old rugged cross, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. How can I not be up? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can I not be excited? I'm always excited, and, I, and I'm super excited to be bringing the word this morning. Um, like Pastor Doug said, you can follow along on the Version Bible app for these notes, but I will tell you that Pastor Doug is like, really good at staying on topic, okay? He's really good at that. Um, I'm like, if you took a squirrel and gave him a Mountain Dew, I'm like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, okay? So if you're looking and, and you're like, hey, you know, he's here, but I think he took a left at Center Avenue, just try to keep up, you know what I'm saying? I'm super excited. When, when Pastor Doug came to me earlier this year and asked if I would be interested in teaming up for a few series, I jumped on the idea. I was, I was so excited to be able to do that because it's, it's, it's the same topic coming from two different perspectives. It's the same topic coming from multiple avenues. And one thing that I've learned with dealing with students and, and, and talking with young folks is that a lot of time it helps to see things from two different set of eyes. It helps to see things from other places. And, and I, was, I was really, really, um, I enjoyed this. And, and when I found out what my topic was, when I found out that I was going to be doing the peacemakers, my mind immediately went to Esther. I mean, my mind immediately went to Esther. So, so we're going to be looking at that for a moment. But I do also want to kind of preface it with the past several months. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's been electric around here, man. There's been a lot of stuff going on. And maybe it's because we went for so long when nothing was happening. You know, maybe it was because we went over a year with absolutely nothing. That now that just an inkling of something has gotten us all kind of really excited. The discussions in the office about about what the vision of the church is going to look like and, and what First Baptist Church in Mableton looks like in the future. Um, the talks that we've had within ministry teams and the conversations I've had a, 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 with a lot of you guys on, on where you see God moving in this church. It's amazing and it's electrifying. And if, if I can be honest with you, it's gotten me amped up a lot, a lot more than usual. 
Um, you can ask Doug and Dean and Becky, man, I am annoying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I am so excited for where God is leading us. The dailies are back. We're back in the elementary school. We're hopefully going to be back in the high schools. Um, we've got trunk or treat coming up that we're planning. We've got events that we're planning for. I mean, yesterday downstairs in the fellowship hall, I, I, I got to confess something to you guys. I came, me, me and Pastor Doug were talking, and, and I was like, man, I really want to do a men's breakfast so that we can kind of get the men together. And he said, well, let's plan it. And I said, okay. So, so we started planning it, and, uh, and, and I was like, man, we may have like 13, you know, 13, 14, something. So he was like, he said, well, you need to plan a little bit bigger. So I said, okay. Um, so I bought enough food for maybe about 20, you know, 31 men showed up last night. I mean, yesterday, 31 men showed up yesterday morning. I was sweating. We almost ran out of food, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know if you've ever gotten 30 grown men in a room, but if you run out of bacon in the South, like, you will probably be cooked next. You know what I'm saying? So I was really excited. Man, we had we had pancakes galore. The, the students showed up, like, like, I had just kind of put the word out. I didn't ask them. I was just like, hey, we're doing the men's breakfast. Man, we had like four or five students show up. They started cooking. I mean, we, we were cooking pancakes. We taught them how to do one pancake, and they just went to town, man. You know, they're making awesome pancakes. Then they started making pancakes as big as your head, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a lot more guys here than we originally thought. And then, uh, you know, it was just it was just fun, man. It's fun to be together. So we, we're eating together, we're planning together, we're hanging out together. All these things are exciting. And in this morning's Beatitude, I want to try to make sure that our excitement turns into action. I want to make sure that our excitement becomes something, that it doesn't just stay in our head. Is, does anybody else deal with the syndrome where, where you like think for like a month or so on something, but then you just like never follow through with that thing? You know, where you're like, I've got great plans. Mine is always like, has anybody ever said, um, you look in the mirror after you get out of the shower and you're like, man, I look exactly like I did in high school, kinda. I'm a little bit more gray and I've got a little pudge in the middle. You know what I'm saying? My wife is shook. Um, but so you're looking and you're like, man, and what, what do we say? We say, I'm really going to get started on that diet on Monday. Monday, I heard somebody say it. You're like, Monday, man, Monday I'm going to start eating right. And so then you go on Sunday night and you're like, you're walking through Kroger and you're putting like veggies and fruit and stuff in your basket and you pass the little Debbies and you're like... I'm so sorry, it's me, not you. Like, you know, I mean, don't, don't get your feelings hurt. There's, there's other fish in the sea. Somebody's going to come get you, you know. And so you keep walking, and you're walking through the grocery store, and you're, you're so excited about all the good things that are in your basket, you know. And, and you're like, you're, you're kind of walking with a swagger. You're like, yeah, look at me. Look at me. I got, like, all kinds of fresh stuff, you know. And then Monday morning shows up, and you wake up, and... You look and you're like, man, I don't want to eat none of this junk. <laughs> you know? But you threw all the sweets away on Sunday, right? 
you threw all the sweets away, so now you don't have anything. And so, and so then what do you do? Do you cook the sausage and eggs? Yeah, maybe for like Monday, you know, then come Tuesday, if you're anything like me, you're like, man, sausage biscuit from McDonald's only a dollar, you know, like, and then we fall off of that thing. So I want to make sure that all this excitement is not just something that we talk about and then we never actually pursue. And a lot of times in the church, the, the things that can really stalemate progress is not whether you put anything, it's not whether you put things into action or not. It's how you treat those that you're trying to get. It's how you treat those that you're trying to bring into whatever said plan that you have. And so I want to make sure that in all the excitement and all the things that we're doing, that we always keep a focus on how do we interact. I want to make sure that we channel these feelings and these dreams into a future, that our dreams and our energies are focused on the cross and the king that redeemed us on Calvary. So if you'll go, with two, if you'll go to two places with me, um, and I'll, I'll be brief, but if you'll go to two places with me, the first is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And then if you will also place your finger right at Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. We'll be, in there, we'll be there in a little bit, but I want to focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Father God, we come before you today, Lord, and I ask you that in this moment that you will not let it be my words, but you'll let it be your words, Father. Father, I pray that you will loose me and you will let me go, that you will allow me to preach like a dying man to dying people that some may be saved, God. Lord, I ask you that you would just fill me in this moment. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So, beatitude. Beatitude. As you've heard several times, beatitude means what? Supreme blessings. Supreme blessings. Beatitude means supreme blessings. The blessing of the peacemaker is twofold. The blessing of the peacemaker is twofold. First is the surface level peace. It's a peace that someone creates around them. It's how they interact with their environment and, and how their environment interacts with them. It's the peace of Romans 12. Romans 12, 18 uh, it says, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Be, be peaceable with everyone. That's that first peacemaker, is that, is that we're trying to, to, to make peace with those around us. When you live at peace with everyone, that doesn't mean that there won't be issues or drama in your life. But it does mean that you can have a clear conscience to walk away or to live with that person. It doesn't mean that there won't be drama, but it does mean that you won't be the one creating it. Peace means that you won't be the one creating that drama, that you will be the one bringing peace to us. Some of us walk around playing the victim of how people treat us while leaving a trail of destruction behind us. 
And we wonder, man, why does everybody hate me? Well, it's probably the way you're acting. If you walk around acting like a jerk to everyone, well, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. <laughs> if, if, if we are being a peacemaker, then we are going to live a certain way. It, it, it isn't simply that we want peace. Every Miss America has wanted world peace. You know, it's not that we simply want peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that actively pursue peace, those that actively create peace, those that are walking around in an environment wondering how they can make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. There are some Christians that will never know peace because they're too busy going to war for the kingdoms they've built here on earth. What, what profit a man to win an argument online and lose his soul? Are you saying that, that if I argue on Facebook that I'm not a Christian, Mike? Is, is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. Not at all. That is not what I'm saying. But if you thrive on creating drama and division around you, that's straight from the playbook of Satan. And I would very be worried about what those symptoms are, what they're showing you that's in your heart. I'm not saying that just because you engage in an argument on Facebook that, that, that you are not you that you're not showing the love of Christ but what I am saying is that if, if if you're always starting the argument that's not a peacemaker I would say that if you're living your life in such a way that every bubble you enter is filled with drama and everyone's saying it's you I would probably listen to some people not everyone is out to get you. Sometimes they're just telling you what you're not looking at. I love my country. I feel that the USA is the greatest country on earth. And I am so happy and so glad. I am so not glad that, that I was born here and that God has allowed me to raise my babies here in the land of the free. But let me tell you something. My Jesus did not go to prepare a place for me in Atlanta. My Jesus did not go to prepare a place for me in America. My Jesus left earth to go to heaven to prepare a place for me so that I can live with him forever. Kingdoms rise and nations fall, but the kingdom of God stands forever. Listen, there is no argument out there that is worth the soul of the man standing across from you. And the problem with this generation is that we've gotten so just complacent with the fact that we can say whatever we want to a screen and not have to worry about the person that we've said it to. Listen, there was a lot of people in my day that had big mouths. I don't know if you've noticed, but I was one of them. Okay? And I said just about whatever I wanted to say to anyone until I met a dude that didn't like it. Okay? I said something, and he reared back, and I saw stars. Like, I woke up a couple seconds later thinking, what has gone on? The problem with the church in America is that uh, we've gotten way too complacent about not worrying about what we say. You say, you know what, it's, 
It's our job to call out sin, Pastor. It's our job to call out sin. Yes, it is, but even Paul said that if I speak with the tongues of angels, but I don't have lung, I'm just a, I don't have love, I'm just a banging cymbal or a clanging gong. It doesn't matter what truth you're preaching to people, you'll never get a flower to grow by beating it with a sledgehammer. I mean, it won't. It won't. There's, there's ways that we can do that, but I can guarantee you something. That if you go screaming at people and just start drama because you believe that you are right, I can promise you that one thing will happen. You will be the only one standing in that field. You will be the only one standing in that field. It breaks my heart that some that profess Christ with their mouths will miss heaven completely trying to build their castles on sand. It breaks my heart that people that profess Christ their entire life are going to miss it because they don't actually know him. The second part of this blessing is what we're focusing on this morning. That they will be called children of God. In order to see what that looks like, we need to look at the Son of God. How did Jesus live? What did he do for those around him? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 sums this up beautifully. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So what did Jesus do? It's just like me. It's just like why I'm up all the time. While I was still an enemy of God, he died on the cross. I mean, I mean, how many of you wake up in the morning and go, you know what? When I was spitting in his face, Jesus died for me. When I was lowly and unworthy, Jesus died for me. Now that I'm a Christian and I'm still unworthy, he calls me worthy. I mean, come on, man. So what did Jesus do? Jesus became our peace. He said there's absolutely no way that you can be peace to yourself. So I'm going to make that peace. There's absolutely no way that you can be worthy of this. I'm going to have to stick this in my pocket. MacArthur, John MacArthur says peace or shalom was a common Jewish greeting. It meant more than, than the absence of conflict. It, it expressed a desire, a desire that one greeted with all, one greeted will have all the righteousness and goodness God can give. The deepest meaning of the term is God's highest good to you. A peacemaker is one who pleads on behalf of another. One that actively tries to reconcile two parties that are at odds with another. In this case, though, we're the ones actively at odds with God. And he is the one that made peace. He is the one that offered peace. If you're looking for an example of peace and humility, God is it. That's it. If we want to be a peacemaker, we need to realize that peace can sometimes be messy. Peace can hurt. 
Those that try to bring peace in conflict often end up getting hurt themselves. Sometimes peacemakers get caught in the crossfire. Sometimes peacemakers get caught in the crossfire. Peace takes courage. Peace takes bravery. Peace takes, takes guts. If you've got two people that are going back and forth, God doesn't call you to just go and go, it's okay. Hey, have, you, have you ever had kids? Have you ever had a, a puppy, a dog, anything like that? And you know, I mean, I, I know that you shouldn't equate uh, kids and dogs, but like my kid bites sometimes, you know. So, um, but so, hey, have you ever like you you just you talking to them and, and something's going on, you know? And so you just kind of gotta hold them apart and go, "What's going on? What's going on?" Well, here's the deal: is that nine times out of ten, one of them is wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Ace, I, I heard a loud thump the other day, and I walked in, and Nara is just crying. You know, she's, she's just going hysterical. Um, and so I'm like, what happened? Ace looked at me dead eye, straight in the face, and said, I hit him. <laughs> you know, and so you're like, well, not really a reason for that, you know. So, so you, it's probably you're wrong. Here's the deal. In the life of a peacemaker, sometimes you're going to have to look at someone and say, you're wrong. Sometimes you're going to have to look at someone and say, listen, yeah, I I get where you're coming from, but God calls you to righteousness. And you've got to do that with love. That is so hard. It's so hard to to bring peace and still kind of tell somebody that they're in the wrong. And and if if you don't think it's hard, Try being the one that's receiving that information. I've had buddies that come to me and said, Mike, <laughs> I get it, dude, but you are so out of line right now. You know, like you are way out of line. And, and your first instinct is to say, what? But then I got to think, blessed are the peacemakers. My part in this is not to get him caught in the crossfire. My part in this is is to listen to what God has told him about my situation. And so at that point, being a peacemaker to me is saying, you know what, you're right. You're right. And that takes guts. Do you know how how, how, how much guts it takes to sit back and go, you know what, I may be wrong. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm gonna die on this hill, you know. Well, that's that's great. Stupid, but it's great. You know how much guts it takes to go, you know what, I might be wrong. And even if I'm not, let me back off. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me take a step back. It takes a lot. Peace takes guts. And that leads us right into the main character of today's discussion. When I learned that I would have peacemakers, my mind immediately went, went to Esther. If you're unaware of Esther, please read the entire book. But I'll give you a brief summary, okay? A young Jewish orphan girl is brought before the king after he banishes the previous queen. No pressure. The king loves the young Jewish girl and ends up making her queen. Her uncle learns of a plot to kill all the Jews and asks Esther to go before the king to plead for the lives of Jews. She knows that if she does this, there is a chance that she will be killed as only only those called are allowed to go before the king. 
Esther asked her uncle and, and all those who know her to pray and fast for her for three days. After three days, she goes into the king's court, and as soon as the king sees her, he is happy and tells her he will give her anything she wants. She begs for her life and the protection of her people. Enraged, the king orders the man that had plotted to kill the Jews be killed. A young Jewish orphan in exile has saved the Jews. I love the book of Esther, but this morning I want to focus on one passage, and that's Esther 4, 10 through 14. If you will, read with me for just one moment. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. answer Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I want to point out three things, and this is where your U version picks up. I want to point out three things. God didn't need Esther. God could have done whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted. God did not need Esther. And in verse 14 it says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. God could have used whoever he wanted. God can use whoever he pleases, whenever he pleases, however he pleases, and that included Esther. But he delighted to use Esther. He wrote Esther into the story of grace simply because he wanted to. Point number two is that Esther desperately needed God. At that point, Esther was desperately hopeless. In her position as a Jew, she was hopeless. In her position as subservient to King Xerxes, she was hopeless. And in her position as a creation of the Most High God, she was hopeless. Esther desperately needed God to intervene in her situation. And the third point is, is that God placed Esther exactly where he wanted, exactly when he wanted. God gave Esther exactly what she needed. How and when she needed it before she needed it. She just didn't know that. So you're like, Mike, <laughs> that's an awesome story, man. That's a great story, but what in the world does that have to do with the Beatitudes? What in the world does that have to do with peacemakers? And what does this story have to do with us? We are called to be peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers in our relationships and to those around us. And I believe that in our position as peacemakers, that we are in the same situation as Esther. God does not need us. You and I are wildly unimportant. No matter how much or how little your ego lets you believe that. You and I are wildly unimportant. I have, I, I tell my student leaders all the time, I am the one that's in front of these students, I've got charisma, uh, God has given me a, a lot of gifts that aid me to be able to speak to students, but if I drop dead tomorrow, 
you would be able to find someone better to fill my place. I am wildly unimportant. I am. To those around me, I am wildly unimportant. They love me. At least I hope they do. You know, I've got friends, you know, and, and I love my friends. But as far as, as whether or not, you know, their big picture, their big story. I mean, I'm not the lead character. A lot of times we need to stop, sit back and go, you know what? It's okay if I'm not the center of that person's life. That's all right because I got enough drama on my own. I don't need to interject myself into their drama. But here's the deal of why I'm saying that God doesn't need us. It's because God doesn't need anything of us other than our total reliance on Him. God doesn't need our kingdoms. God doesn't need our ideals. God doesn't need our politics. God doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, a liberal or a conservative. It makes no difference to him. Kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen. God was there when Egypt rose to power and God's the one that brought it down. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is the Exodus. Because God looked and Egypt was the most powerful uh, civilization on the face of the earth. And God said, you know what, I'm going to grow up my kingdom right in the middle of it. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us to say what is right or what is wrong. He's already said it. He doesn't need us to add to or take away from that. What God needs you to do is be obedient and love your neighbor. Did you know that you can love your neighbor and still call out sin? Did you know that you can love your neighbor and still be a good Christian? Did you know that you can love your neighbor? I mean, in today's society, that's the question. Did you know that you can still love your neighbor? God doesn't need us. God doesn't need Esther. We desperately need God. You wouldn't be here this morning if God hadn't woke you up. Without Christ, you would be utterly dead in your sins. And yet the king of heaven saw fit to write you into the story of grace. A character doesn't write his or her own story. They are dependent on the author. And God saw fit to write you into the story of grace. If you're in here this morning and you're saying, you know what, Mike? I don't feel like I matter at all. You matter to the God that created everything. You matter to the God that created everything. And even though he doesn't need me, even though I am wildly unimportant in the big grand scheme of things, he looked down through the hands of heaven, looked at my face and said, he is one of the ones I'm going to die for. He's one of the ones. He looked down through the hands of heaven and said, you're one of the ones. Even if you're in here this morning and you say, you know what, that God dude, I don't care anything about him. He said, that's fine. I died for you. We desperately need God. And God has placed us exactly where he <clears throat> wants us. You've heard us talk a lot about an oikos. 
And God has placed you exactly in your circle. Exactly in this time. I want you to do me a favor real quick and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to visualize one of your lost friends. Every one of us knows one. And if you don't know someone that's lost, you need to make friends. I mean, what are you here for if you don't know lost people? I want you to visualize someone in your life that doesn't know Christ. And now let me ask you this question. Have you told that person how much God loves them? Have you told that person the story of the gospel? Because this morning, God is telling you, perhaps you were created for such a time as this. You were created to be that peacemaker. You were created to tell that person that reconciliation is on the way. You were created to tell that person that God loves them. You can go ahead and open your eyes. We are wildly unimportant. But God said, you know what I want to do? I want to write your name into the story of someone else's grace. Robbie Gallaty says that the, the gospel came to you because it was going to someone else. God has called you this morning to be a peacemaker. I fear that the reason the Church of America will never see the, the revivals that are happening around the world is because we're so focused on kingdoms that fade. Let it not be known of us that we built kingdoms of sand while an entire generation perished because we couldn't stand to pass up a good argument. Because we couldn't get over our fear of, of speaking to someone else. Because we couldn't be bothered to inconvenience ourselves by putting ourselves out of our comfort zone to tell someone something. The gospel is wildly more important than your conveniences. Let it be known of us that we didn't have, let it not be known of us that we didn't have the bravery to pass a comment by because we just couldn't let our egos be bruised. Peacemakers know that they are wildly unimportant, but that the kingdom of God stands forever. The kingdom of God is so much more important than anything that we could pass up. Perhaps you were created for such a time as this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you two questions. The first is to anybody in here who professes Christ. Who's that person that you visualize? Who's that person that you saw in your mind? Will you commit to have a conversation this week? Will you commit to stepping out of your comfort zone and telling that person about Jesus? Perhaps you were created for such a time as this. You were called to be their peacemaker. And the next is if you're in this room and you do not know Jesus Christ, Peace is here. Peace is here. 
and his name's Jesus. This morning, if you just can't get over the toil in your life, if you can't get over that feeling, and you're saying, Mike, I, I hear you talking about peace, man, but I just don't have any. Jesus offers it this morning. Jesus offers that peace this morning. As we play and as we sing, I'll be down front. Won't you come?